Our sermon text this morning, back to 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 18 through 25. Listen carefully, this is God's word. Servants, be submissive to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the harsh. For this is commendable, if because of conscience toward God, one endures grief, suffering wrongfully. For what credit is it if, when you are beaten for your faults, you take it patiently? But when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow in his steps, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth, who when he was reviled, did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not, did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live to righteousness. For by whose stripes you were healed, for you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and the overseer of your souls. Thus far, the reading of God's word, let's pray together. Almighty Father in heaven, we ask now that you would help us to hear, to understand, and to obey. Give us obedient hearts as we listen to your word. Give me clear thoughts and clear words as I preach it. Help every distraction, everything that might drive uh, the word out of our minds and out of our hearts. Help those things to be put away. Any cares we might have, help us to put them aside as we listen carefully to your word. And we pray that your spirit be with us in full measure. We ask this all in the strong name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. Amen. Imagine being 12 years old. I might have some 12-year-olds in here. No, I have one. I have one 12-year-old in here. Imagine being 12 years old, and you're called upon to be, you're led into an arena and asked, will you deny Jesus Christ? And if you do not deny Jesus Christ, we are going to kill you. Okay? A young lady named Blandina in the second century A.D., this happened to her repeatedly. She was beaten, she was mocked, she was starved, she was thrown in prison. All around her, her family and her friends were killed repeatedly. Friends and family were killed. Uh, other Christians were killed. One day they tied her to a post in the middle of the arena and uh, brought in a bunch of other Christians. And the animals ate and killed all the other Christians but did not touch her. So they untied her, threw her back in prison. And over and over, she lived. She kept living. Okay, they take her in there and try to kill her. She kept leaving. Eventually, the guards came and stabbed her to death because the wild animals would just not kill her. And she was 12. She was 12 years old. Fast forward over 1,000 years, John Bunyan, preaching the gospel, came to his worship service one morning just like this, started preaching to his people just like this, and they came in and arrested him. This was in November of 1660. He was in prison for 12 years years, 12 years just for preaching the gospel. Think about 12, where were you at 12 years ago? <laughs> where are you going to be 12 years from now? 12 years is a long time to be stuck in a prison just for preaching the gospel. Another man, Richard Wormbrand, many of you know his story, Tortured for Christ. He was in a Russian prison repeatedly for telling people about Christ, repeatedly for going to church, repeatedly for warning Christians about this. They let him go after eight and a half years. He kept doing it, and they put him back in prison for another five years. And while he was in prison, he was beaten. He was tortured, really brutally tortured. What causes a Christian to do this? What causes us, what would steal our minds and our hearts so that we would be ready to do this? The martyrs, the ones who've suffered for Christ down through the centuries, we look at them and we got to hold them up on a pedestal. We're like, these men and women were so great and they were so magnificent, but the center of their lives was the truth that you and I need. And the truth is they refused 
to disobey God to escape suffering. They refused to disobey God to escape suffering. It did not matter what was coming. Wild animals, prison, hanging, burning. Some of them were flayed. I left that story out. It's a little gruesome. But some of them were flayed and killed. It didn't matter what was coming. Their rule was, I am not going to disobey Jesus no matter what I have to suffer. Now, you and I may never be called upon, hopefully, never be called upon to watch our 12-year-old child get eaten by wild animals. Never be called upon to go for, to prison for 12 years. But this mindset that they had is the mindset we need to have. Same mindset, same principle. No matter what the situation is, we are going to obey Jesus no matter what the consequence. Okay? And this is what Peter's trying to get us to today. He's trying to teach us how to suffer righteously, how to make sure we do not compromise. We do not lose the faith. We do not abandon the ship just because we are suffering. Okay, so Peter begins with, sorry, Peter begins with servants, be submissive to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the harsh. Okay, so I'm gonna begin with a little bit of a tangent about suffering, about submission and authority, which I haven't really discussed yet, but it's really important for what we talked about last time with government and talk about next time with wives. What does biblical submission look like? Okay, what is required of us? And this is gonna be very brief, now, the whole sermon is not on this, not even most of the sermon, but just very briefly talk about that, and then we'll get into what does righteous suffering look like? Okay, how does it look? Okay, so first, let's discuss submission, because here Peter says, servants, be submissive to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the harsh. Okay? In the Bible, okay, obedience to authorities over us is always first and foremost obedience to God. Okay? And that means... If the authorities over us are requiring us to disobey God, we cannot obey them. It's odd to me that when the pandemic happened, you had all these people rolling out Romans 13, Romans 13, be submissive to your governing authorities, as if it's just a given that we are supposed to obey the authorities over us, as if that's just a given. Yet if you read the scriptures, repeatedly there are men and women who disobey the authorities God has placed over them. And you can probably think of some. Let's just mention a few. Think of the Hebrew midwives okay, who were told to kill the babies. And they lied and they connived. We don't even know what all they did, okay, but they got out of that. They disobeyed the authorities there. Think about David, who was being pursued by Saul. Okay? He ran and he fled from the authorities. Think about Obadiah, the little guy who hid 100 prophets in a cave. Okay, why was he hiding the prophets? Well, because the law, the authorities wanted those prophets taken. Okay? So he was disobeying the authorities. Right? Think about Paul. Paul was let down over a wall. Paul repeatedly find, disobeys the authorities, finds ways around the authorities there in Acts. Okay, And one way was being set down over a wall in a basket. So the point here is, is that submission to human authorities, whatever they are, is always first and foremost obedience to God. And if you are not obeying God, then you cannot obey the authority. Okay? If the authority is asking you to do something that God is not requiring of you, or asking you to not do something that God is requiring of you, then you cannot obey them. Because submission to God precedes submission to human authorities. No authority is absolute rule over you except for God himself. Again, I think we all understand that. So when Peter is saying here, servants be submissive to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the harsh, he's not saying if your master tells you to go over there and murder that man, go murder him. He is not saying that. He's not saying if your master tells you to go steal from this guy down the road, you should go do that and be submissive. He is not saying that. Okay? The submission is never absolute 
to these governing authorities. Okay, so just a little bit more about submission. Um, submission, but when you are ruled over by good, wise authorities, we should cheerfully and willingly submit. Okay? And we, time, we tend to focus on the exceptions to the rules, and there are a lot of them these days. It feels like the government keeps giving us new opportunities to disobey them. You know, okay, we can't do that. It feels like that. But really, in most of our lives, we're talking about our homes, our employers, talking about elders and deacons, whoever it may be, those people who have authority over you in most circumstances, those people that have authority over you are good people, are righteous people. And you should cheerfully and willingly submit to those folks. And we get so stuck on the exceptions that we forget the point. And the point is that God places these people over us. And if they're not requiring of us something that's sinful, then we should cheerfully submit to them. In most circumstances you're in, I know most of your husbands, wives, and most of them are good folks, good fellows. I think in most circumstances you can cheerfully and willingly submit to them. Okay? So, yes, there are places we disobey, but... There's also this sense in which God is saying, I have put this person over you, and you need to submit to them. You need to obey them. This goes for our government as well. Again, the government makes it really, really hard these days. But for the most part, we need to have an attitude of submission, an attitude of, okay, as long as they're not asking me to abandon worship, as long as they're not asking me to teach my kids perverse things, I'm going to obey. And sometimes we get in trouble because we just get kind of rebellious and everything the government asks us to do, we're like, no. The government's asking me, no. And this is kind of the attitude Peter's getting at here, okay? The point is not the morality of the master. The point is the master's being mean. Okay? The point is the master's being mean. He's not asking the servant to do something wicked. He's treating the servant in a wicked manner. Okay? He's being cruel to the servant. And Peter says, even in that case, you need to submit. No bad. We all know this. If somebody comes to us sweetly and asks us to do something, we're like, sure, sure. If someone comes to us and goes, go do that. Okay? We're like, no, I don't want to do that. Even if the thing that's supposed to be done is righteous and good, we don't want to do it. We don't do it because of the tone it was told to us. And that's what Peter's saying here. It doesn't matter the tone. It doesn't matter how mean your, your master is. If he's asking you to do something that's not against God and not disobedient to the Lord, then you submit. Then you obey. And this will come into play a lot next um, time we talk about wives and husbands. Peter kind of expands upon that in chapter 3 and what's going on there in chapter 3. So this submission is not absolute, but it is real and genuine, and we need to be obedient to the people God has placed over us as long as they're not asking of us to do things that God uh, tells us no to, okay? And we live in an age where submission is hated almost across the board. So we kind of have to guard our hearts on this, in this area of our lives because we do not live in an age where people are just constantly bowing down to authorities, okay? That's really not how people function. They're always rebelling against something, some type of authority, whether it's parents or husbands or employers. There's always this rebellion going on. We do not want, as Christians, to live that like that. That should not be our attitude where we're just in rebellion to the authorities over us, okay? We should be, pick our battles very carefully, and those battles should be picked based on what God requires of us, okay? So Peter is saying here that, if, even if the master is harsh to you, you are to obey. You are to be submissive to him. And submission and obedience are synonyms. Uh, some people try to make like a, you know, there's a difference between submission and there's a difference between obedience. If anything, submission is stronger because it implies obedience and a good attitude, okay? And submission, both of those are together. Submission means obey with a good attitude. A lot, it's easy to obey with a bad attitude. We all know this with our kids, right? We send them to do something, and like, I'm going to do it, but 
I'm not happy about it. And when we as adults, we can do that too with the authorities over us. I'm doing it, but I'm not happy about it. Submission implies cheerful and willing obedience to the authorities God has placed over you, as long as they're not leading you away from the Lord. Okay, that is the baseline there for submission. Okay, so that's verse 18. And there's a lot more I could say about that, but I think that kind of sums it up pretty well. So then Peter launches into his main point. His main point is, how do we suffer righteously? What does it look like to suffer righteously in a situation that's difficult? Remember, Peter's talking to Christians who are in the minority, Christians who, are not, who do not have power, who do not have authority, okay? whether it's government or uh, masters here and servants or whether even wives in the next chapter. Okay? They're not in power. They don't have authority. So he's talking to people who don't have this power. And really, as Christians, we're moving into that world. Maybe we've left it already, okay, or we've entered it already. We're moving into the world where we do not have power, okay? So how do we suffer righteously, all right? So the first thing is that Peter's telling us this is a specific type of suffering, all right? This is actual pain and suffering that comes upon us for obedience to God, all right? This isn't just your generic, I got cancer. This isn't your, your generic, I lost my job because they were laying off workers, it isn't, those things matter, and God does care about those things, okay? Later in Peter, he will say, cast all your cares on him because he cares for us. So God does care about those things, but that's not the type of suffering Peter has in mind here. He, he's not talking about our day-to-day anxieties, troubles, and pains, okay? Again, God does care about those things, but that's not what Peter's talking about. Peter's specifically talking about, notice what he says, for what credit is it if, in verse 20, if when you are beaten for your faults, you take it patiently. But when you do good and suffer, what does he mean? When you do good and are beaten for it, it is commendable if you take it patiently. The point is here, there has to be actual suffering. Loss of job because you are following Jesus. Loss of reputation because you are following Jesus. Loss of family because you are following Jesus. Loss of friends because you're following Jesus. Or physical pain because you're following Jesus. And the truth is, for most of us, that's not a danger. The truth is, the type of suffering Peter's talking about in this passage, most of us have not experienced. And I say this because as Christians, we tend to have this martyr complex sometimes that everybody hates us and things are so bad and things are so terrible and, we're, and things are getting bad. They're getting worse. But none of us are in danger of going to prison for 12 years. I mean, not, I'm just going to march in here next week and pull Pastor Garner out and take him to prison for 12 years that we're aware of. that's not going to happen. None of us are going to be drug out and killed. Now, that day might come. I think especially for our kids and our grandkids, that day might come. But that is not the day now. We are not enduring that type of suffering right now. And I remember Hebrews 12, 4. Hebrews 12, 4, he's talking to the, the saints there and says, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood. And he's kind of reminding them, you think you're suffering a lot, but really it's not as bad as you think. And that's kind of what I'm telling you here as Christians today. It's not as bad as you think. Yes, we have some wicked rulers. And yes, things are going downhill. And yes, there's a lot of things that are happening. But when it comes to suffering, you and I do not endure the type of suffering Peter's talking about in this passage yet. Okay? This is something we need to think about and prepare for. But understand, for the most part, we don't endure that. Now, there are some exceptions. There are some things that have happened. We have a, a friend, a mutual a friend that doesn't come to this church, but he lost his job okay, for uh, posting something Christian. So that does happen. I read the other day online a friend of mine who was praying in a restaurant, and I always try to 
evaluate whether these things are true or not, but it seemed to be a true, something true on the internet. Surprising, yes, but it was true. And I was praying in the restaurant and the people behind him were laughing at him, making fun of him for praying in the restaurant. Okay, that's, that is what we're talking about. That's obviously just a very small thing, though. A very small thing. To suffer righteously, there must be actual pain involved. Okay? It can't just be suffering in your mind, like you feel like things are hard. There has to be actual pain involved. Okay? So that's the first thing. Second, the suffering must be undeserved and unjust. Okay? This is what Peter says. For this is commendable, if because of conscience toward God, one endures grief, suffering wrongfully. For what credit is it if, when you are beaten for your faults, you take it patiently? Okay? If, you, if you lose your job because you stole from your employer, that's not suffering. That's reaping what you sow. Okay? That's reaping what you sow. A friend of mine has a great phrase. He says, play stupid games, win stupid prizes. Okay? If you're just winning a stupid prize because you were foolish, well, that's not suffering for Jesus. That's not suffering for Jesus. If you just have the consequences of your own bad decision-making, okay, that is not suffering for Jesus. The suffering has to be unjust and undeserved. Okay? And this, this is hard. This is hard to endure. I think we, we, don't, we don't like being treated unjustly. We don't like being treated unrighteously. We don't like doing good and then suffering for it. But that is what Peter is saying is going to happen. It's happening to these folks here. You obey God, you do what is right, and you get beaten for it. You obey God and you do what is right and you get thrown into prison. Okay? That's what's going on. Okay? So this isn't just everyday consequences of bad decisions. This is you're obeying Christ and because of your obedience to Jesus, you pay the price. Okay? You pay the price for it. All right? Then he says this suffering must be done with a conscience towards God. He mentions it two places. He says, obviously in verse 19, if because of conscience toward God, one endures grief. And then at the end of 20, he says, for this is commendable before God. This is really what separates pagan suffering from Christian suffering. Christians suffer with an eye towards the Lord at all times. What does God think? What would the Lord say? I do not want to defile my conscience. I do not want to sin against him. So it's not just me and this person who's oppressing me. It's just not the slave and the master. It's just not the wife and the husband. It's just not the citizen and the government. It's all those with God. There's always a vertical dimension. I think what Peter wants us to understand is we forget this. We, especially in an unjust situation where someone's doing something evil to us, wicked to us, okay, we tend to just focus on that person right there and forget that God is there. And mainly what he's saying is do not disobey God to avoid this suffering. Do not defile your conscience to avoid this suffering. Okay? We do not want to disobey our king. We want to keep him always before us, fearing him. And it's interesting, in verse 18, it says, servants, be submissive to your masters with all fear. And if you read that, you might think it's talking about fear towards your master. That's not what it's talking about. It's talking about fear toward the Lord. In, in Peter, fear of God is the dominating factor, not fear of the master. Okay? So our goal is not just to please the master, but to please the Lord, to please God ultimately. Okay? So it must be done with an eye towards the Lord. And this is really why non-Christians can suffer, but that suffering, never, that suffering never pleases God, okay? It never pleases the Lord because it's not done with an eye towards him, bearing it because of God, bearing it out of fear to void. And then finally, Peter says you must suffer 
patiently. Okay? You must suffer patiently. If you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. There's an old word, some of you probably know from King James, long-suffering. Old word for patience, long-suffering. Just a great word, a great like word picture. Suffer long, suffer patiently, okay? Patience means in the midst of unjust suffering, we do not rebel against God. We do not grumble. We do not complain. We do not become bitter and angry. In the midst of unjust suffering, I think that's the hardest thing for us. Someone is treating us in a way that is not righteous, that is not good, that is wicked and hard. And we want to be angry. We want to be bitter. We want to grumble and we want to complain. And God, Peter says, no. The way you suffer righteously is you bear it with patience. You bear it with patience. It's so interesting how the New Testament Christians approach suffering. Listen to this from the end of Acts. Many of you probably know this verse. But listen to what they say. They've been persecuted for the sake of the gospel, just exactly what Peter's talking about here, and persecuted for the sake of the gospel. And this is what they say. So they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. Rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for the name of Christ. It is an honor to suffer unjustly for Jesus. It is a badge of honor. It is a place of glory to suffer unjustly for Jesus. If you lose your job because you are obeying Jesus, that is something God loves, and you should as well. Again, this isn't because you're being a jerk. It's because you're following after Jesus. So part of this, what Peter's trying to do is change our perspective on suffering, change our perspective on people treating us wickedly, and help us to understand, first of all, this happens to Jesus, which we'll get to in a minute, but second of all, we need to see this as a glorious thing. It is a wonderful opportunity we have the chance to stand before the world and obey Jesus and suffer for it. Okay, think of the martyrs. We love them. Why do we love them? Because they stood up there, sometimes all alone, and they obeyed Christ no matter what the price, okay? no matter what was going on. Okay? So Peter says, do it, take it patiently, and kind of the implication there is because it's a good thing. Okay, it's a good thing to suffer for the name of Jesus. Now, one side note here. The Bible never implies that you cannot escape a difficult, hard situation, okay? Again, let's think about passages in Scripture. Think about David fleeing from Saul. Okay, there's numerous examples in the Bible of men escaping harsh, difficult situations, right? So nothing in the Bible says if you're in a bad situation, you've got to stay there, okay? Sometimes people kind of think that way. Well, if I'm here, does God want me to stay here and suffer? Well, maybe he does, but often he wants you to get out. He wants you to leave. He wants you to escape from that. Elijah runs away from Jezebel. First Kings, Jezebel wants to kill him, and Elijah runs away. All right, so you can run away from someone who's trying to kill you. That's not a sin. That's not wrong. Okay? But every time we escape from a harsh master, we must do it in a way that pleases Jesus. You can't escape from a harsh master in a way that displeases Jesus. So just an example, if you're in a job and your master is harsh and cruel and unkind and making you suffer for following Jesus, okay, you can get out of that you can legitimately go to a different job. You don't have to stick it out, okay? But when you do that, you have to do it in a way that is not filled with bitterness, not filled with anger, not filled with grumbling and complaining. You have to do it in a way that pleases Jesus, okay? So if you're in a difficult situation, you can get out, but you have to get out in a way that honors Christ. And some situations, obviously, are more difficult 
than others. If you're married, it's a lot harder to, to you know, the escape hatch on the divorce, on the marriage is very, very small. Okay, the escape hatch on your employer is much bigger. Okay, much easier to get out of. Okay, if you're a slave, as this guy was in this passage, the escape hatch is non-existent. <laughs> to a large degree, you cannot get away. All right, from that situation. Okay, so there's all sorts of variables there, but suffering is not something you have to stick it out just because God put you there. You can't get out as long as it's done righteously, okay? Okay, so Peter goes on to say, for to this you were called because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow in his steps, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. So here Peter is exposing an assumption that we have. In counseling, one of the most, especially premarital counseling, one of the most important things to do is expose unspoken assumptions, okay? There's always these unspoken assumptions that, that young people have developed watching their mom and dad or rebelling against their mom and dad or whatever they've done. They have all these unspoken assumptions, and part of counseling is to bring those to the surface and make them explicit. Well, often we have an unspoken assumption that if I obey Jesus and I honor Jesus, then my life will be smoother and easier. Now, we don't say this out loud, because it's one of those thoughts that if you said it out loud, you'd immediately go, that's dumb. Okay, you know it's a dumb thought, but we kind of live that way. We think, well, if I obey Jesus, things are going to go smoothly for me. If I really work really hard at this job, and I honor Christ in this job, then they're going to elevate me, they're going to promote me, I'm going to get pushed up to the top, I'm making good money, I'm going to be able to provide. Okay? That's a bad assumption. It's a bad assumption to say that if I follow Jesus, things will be smoother. This is what Peter's saying. For to this you were called. It is a calling to suffer on behalf of the gospel. It is part of the package of being a Christian. Okay? Now, we don't all suffer equally. Okay? Not all every age has the same amount of suffering. We don't live in an age where there's a lot of suffering. But it's kind of like being a soldier. Okay? When you sign up and you're a soldier you know you might have to go die one day. And that's part of the package. You can't come to the point and be like, well, no, I didn't know I had I have to go fight. <laughs> no, that, that's what it means to be a soldier. Okay? Same thing as Christians. When you sign up to be a Christian, when you're baptized, when you're brought into the church, this is part of the package. You may not have to die on the battlefield. You may not have to get eaten by, by wild beasts or thrown into prison. But if the time comes, you better be ready to do your duty. And that's what Peter's saying. This is what you were called to. Okay, this is part of the package of following Jesus. Okay? So it shouldn't surprise us that we suffer for Christ, that we have people around the world that are suffering for Christ. It shouldn't surprise us that there's a baker out in Colorado who repeatedly gets approached by these people who are trying to ruin his business because he will not um, share in their perversions and promote and celebrate their perversions. Okay? So again, the likelihood of you being thrown in prison is low. I mean, for a... Uh, for following Jesus. Maybe some of you have a higher likelihood of being thrown in prison for other things. But for following Jesus, the likelihood of you being thrown in prison is not very high. And not very high. But if the time came, that the choice was obeying Jesus or escaping suffering, you obey Jesus and you take the suffering. And that's the point because that's what you were called to. Suffering does come to the righteous. It does come to the obedient. We don't escape suffering just because we're obeying Christ. Christ did not escape suffering, even though he was perfect and without sin. And that's part of Peter's point here. He set an example for us of suffering righteously, of obeying God no matter what the cost, no matter what the price is. You can do everything right. 
you can obey God and still suffer in this world, still be ruled over by unjust men. It is wicked, it is wrong, but it happens. Okay? It does happen, and we need to understand that. That's part of what Peter is saying to us there. Okay? Then he ends with this. There's a lot in these last few verses, but I'm just going to highlight a few things. Verse 23, he says, Who, when he was reviled, we talked about this last time, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, but just remember that one of the temptations when you're suffering is to sin in the midst of suffering. And part of one of Peter's points is to not do that, okay? Not, not respond in a way that's sinful. Jesus did not respond, though he suffered unjustly. Did not respond sinfully, though he suffered unjustly. And one of the reasons he did that was because he committed himself to him who judges righteously. Peter finishes this opening section by reminding us that there is a just God. God does not forget. God is not blind, okay? You're not suffering out there all by yourself in a wilderness with no one. God knows. And it's interesting, the word committed here, some of your translations might have entrusted, the word, it means to be delivered to. And it's the word used throughout the Gospels of Jesus being delivered to wicked men. So as Jesus was being delivered to wicked men, he was delivering himself or committed himself to the Father in heaven. He was saying, these men are wicked, but I'm going to commit myself and entrust myself to you. There are always three parties involved. Us, the wicked oppressor, and God. There's always three parties involved, and we tend to forget this. We didn't get so myopic and focused on the person in front of us that we forget Jesus did not. Jesus trusted himself, committed himself, delivered himself to the Father who would care for him and who judges righteously. God never is unjust. God is never unjust. Everything he does is perfectly just and perfectly righteous. You can trust him with that. You can trust him in the midst of that suffering. You can trust him that this wicked oppressor, whoever he may be, that God has it under control. Okay? God has it. The master is never the one ultimately in control. The government is never the one ultimately in control. It is always the Lord. So we can lay ourselves in his hands and trust that he will deliver us and he will care for us. Now, when I was preaching, when I was studying this, it seems like a really good place to stop right here. Verse 23. You're like, okay, you know, righteous suffering. We, we endure it patiently. We trust ourselves to God. We make sure our conscience is clean. We do that. We follow the example of Jesus. You're like, okay, verse 23, it's over. But Peter doesn't stop. <laughs> Peter keeps going. And when you see that in Scripture, you need to go, why? Why does Peter keep going? Why does he give us verses 24 and 25? Okay, why is that? Well, I think first, Peter loves Jesus. Peter loves Jesus, and Peter loves the work that Jesus did on the cross, and he always keeps bringing that, keeps bringing that back up, okay? But he had some other reasons for this, some other reasons. First of all, he wants us to understand that righteous suffering changes things. And we often view being, when we suffer unjustly, we often see that as kind of a waste, okay? Jesus suffered unjustly, and it was life for the world, it was life for you. It was life for me. He bore our sins on that tree because he was unjustly accused, unjustly killed, and that led to our, our, us being alive. It led to us being at peace with God. Righteous suffering is never fruitless. If you're treated unjustly and you endure it in a way that honors Jesus, it is never fruitless. There is always fruit that comes up. You are planting seeds when you do that that will bear fruit down the line. That's part of what Peter wants us to see. Even though Jesus suffered unjustly, it bore fruit. Okay? But more than that, 
more than that, I think this is Peter's main point. He wants, to remember, wants us to have courage and comfort by remembering who we are and who Jesus is. We are the redeemed. We are the healed. We are the ones whose sins have been taken away. We are at peace with God. We should bring great courage to us. Who can harm us if we're at peace with God? What can separate us from the love of God? Nothing. That's what Peter's saying. You have been, you have, Jesus died on the tree so your sins might be gone, so you might live for righteousness, so you might be healed. We have this peace with God. Also, we have this shepherd. We were going astray. We have this shepherd and this episkopos, this bishop or overseer of our souls who cares for us, who loves us. This means we do not need to fear men. We do not need to fear their swords, not fear them destroying our, our bank accounts, killing our reputation. We don't need to worry about them hurting our families, our spouses, our children. Think about that story of Blandina. And it was awful for Blandina, that girl, that 12-year-old girl, but I think it would have been worse as a parent. Can you imagine as a parent, you know, enduring that? Think about John Bunyan going to prison. Well, he was married with kids. His wife spent 12 years without a husband because he would refuse to preach, stop preaching the gospel. Those things, we do not need to fear those things. You don't need to fear the destruction of your reputation on the internet. You don't need to fear the Muslims. You don't need to fear the U.S. government. You don't need to fear the school board. We don't need to fear any of those people because we have Jesus. We belong to him and he loves us and he cares for us as the good shepherd and watches over us. So therefore we can put our lives and our reputations and our bank accounts on the line and trust that Jesus, the good shepherd and the good bishop will care for us and take care of us. So Peter at the end wants us to suffer righteously because we belong to Jesus because Jesus has redeemed us. That is at the foundation. So the last two verses aren't just a tack on. Like, oh, hey, this is kind of cool. They're at the center of it. They're at the center of righteous suffering is understanding that Jesus bled and died so we might be saved and live righteously. And he is the good shepherd that's going to lead us to still waters and lead us into green pastures. If we remember that, when the time comes for us to suffer for Jesus, we will not shrink back. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we are very grateful and thankful for your word. We're thankful for the example of Christ. We're thankful for the example of all the martyrs and the ones who suffered even around the world who are suffering this day uh, in, in different places and for different reasons. We ask that you would give us hearts of courage because of what Jesus has done and because of his care for us. Give us hearts of courage that do not shrink back in the day of battle, but instead help us to be faithful in all of these things and follow after Jesus no matter what the price, no matter what price we, our families, or our friends might have to pay. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.